Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Juliana Geron Pilon is a fellow at the Ameri Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization. Her writings include the books The Utopian Conceit and The War on Freedom, The Art of Peace, Engaging in a Complex World, and a new volume entitled An Idea Betrayed, Jews, Liberalism, and the American Left, our topic today. Welcome, Dr. Pilon. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. You go back uh, with a personal moment, way back in 1962. A plane landing in New York City uh, when you were a little girl immigrating with your parents. Uh, what did America mean to you at that moment? America meant possibility. It was a challenge, but a welcome challenge despite all the concerns we had having arrived with no funds at all and not knowing the language it was rather daunting but i have to say all of us were so excited there was far more uh, hope than there was concern but Having said that, it is hard to believe for someone who has grown up uh, with the idea that the state has to do everything for you or to you as well, <laughs> mind you, to be, a, to, to be quote unquote free. What did that mean? It also meant that you're left to yourself. And so it required gathering all your self-confidence, if you had any, and you had to have some. So it was all in all uh, an incredible, when you say, when you know, when you talk about the new world, to us, that's exactly what it was, an entirely new world. And you, you get to America, you grow up, a uh, teenager uh, in, in the 60s and after, and you say in the book that you were rather incredulous to hear your peers speaking of the advantages of communism, the problems with capitalism. Uh, what, how did you react to that talk about communism, given what well, maybe you should also tell us where you came from, where your parents came from? So sure, we came from Romania uh, and this was before the horror of Ceausescu, but nonetheless, uh, there were <laughs> there were huge problems. 
And what I found particularly discouraging in my conversations with people is that I would tell them, simply tell them about our experiences, and they looked at us not not knowing how to process. They couldn't comprehend it. To them, communism, all these things were just, just vague ideas. To us, it was real, but they couldn't. they couldn't get their heads around, as they say. You know, you you talk about how that, you know, they grew farther and farther from the America that you had thought secure. I mean, American possibility and and, and freedom. Uh, You say that you grew closer to that idea of, of America, that ideal, partly by finding and you go into this book, partly by finding a great deal of biblical influence on America from the very beginning. What, what, what were the important biblical aspects in your mind as you, as you thought about what America means? In the first place, the idea of, of all humans being equal before something greater than a state, than anything man-made, that you resonate to that almost, uh, almost instinctively. But what America showed to me that besides it being somehow in, uh, intuitively very heartening, we are all uh, the same in the face of God. But what also made it clear to me living here is that there was a a practical aspect to this. The more people were allowed to innovate, to think for themselves, the better it was. This was the argument that is most often made uh, by libertarians and economists, Uh, but it's not enough. Both are necessary, both to see that, in fact, as the saying goes, freedom works, but also to validate that which to a little child comes naturally, namely, hey, I'm as good as you are, and this is mine, that's yours. Hmm. You have one section titled Liberty in Practice, a Jewish blueprint. What what do you, I mean, this obviously is going to relate back to America and a biblical conception of things, but what do you mean by the term liberty in, in practice, a Jewish blueprint? I think the Jews have demonstrated through thick and thin that the there are certain ideas that are not only uh, soul-nourishing, but also ultimately very practical. One of them is uh, gratitude. Gratitude for being alive, for, you know, when God said, and it was good, that is something that, and, and created man to see with him that the world is 
good. By good, that doesn't mean that there isn't enormous pain. And the Jews have lived with that reality. But the blueprint, the Jewish blueprint, besides gratitude, also includes a very strong realism that, you know, you are in charge of making it better and appreciating what you have, doing what you can with what you have, which implies a can-do attitude. At the same time, uh, from, a, <laughs> from a more political perspective, it means that you do not accept someone else's authority merely because some higher um, secular power says so. You have to be convinced of that which you are told to believe. You know, you you, stote, you note a, a startling statistic I'd never seen before. In American history, in the mid-19th century, from 1850 to 1860, the number of Jews in America tripled. It reached 175,000 people. Were, were, were they, well, maybe I should ask, why, why did that happen? And maybe I should ask, were they by 1860 a sort of a, a, a real, identifiable political force in America? Or were they too scattered, too apolitical? You know, as I indicate in the book, what's interesting about the, the Jews, and this has always been and always, <laughs> I think, will continue to be, is that they are disproportionately influential. It is not merely numbers, but the quality of, of their impact. I mean, when you consider, for example, the impact of, of the Jews on Abraham Lincoln, to be sure, it isn't just the charisma or personal qualities, it is in the context, and this is critical to understand, of a profound respect in America from its very founding to the Hebraic tradition. And this is beginning to be understood more and more uh, today, in part because eloquent speakers and writers uh, such as Ruth Weiss, uh, Robbie George at Princeton, Mayor, uh, Rabbi Mayor Soloveitchik, uh, and many others. Really, <laughs> my bibliography is very long, as you see. But they are influential people who have put, set their mark and continue to do so on the American founding. And now uh, on the continued uh, American um, self-understanding. In other words, Jews have always had an enormous and for the most part positive effect on ideas. The idea in your title, 
really is is that of liberalism, at least the the old liberalism, which <laughs> is pretty much what you what yeah. you say. It is uh, you know individual rights and equal treatment, equal opportunity, uh, a place of possibility. The old liberalism certainly had room for the eyes of God uh, all the way, uh, but then we, we have the hijacking take place. Uh, this is what you what you get to in in chapter three uh, that you you announce this. Why don't you give us? I mean, this is the big question in the book. Why don't you give us uh, a brief version of the hijacking? Well. You just said there's room for God. Whoa, whoa. The Declaration of Independence, not only is there room, I mean, the Declaration of Independence presupposes that our rights come from a premise. We are endowed by our Creator with equal rights. No, you you can define your creator when when you want to on Saturday, Sunday. The bottom line is we are created equal, and that means nobody can can presume to decide for another. That is the Hebraic Judeo Christian basis for what later was elaborated in the Constitution. Okay, what happened was that equality was reinterpreted to mean not merely equality before the law, but equality of results. This has been uh, stated in many different ways, but rhetoric aside, there is a sense in which, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, the state has been uh, superimposed between between the citizen and his maker. <laughs> and it's going to do what God used to do. Well, I'm not sure that I put it that way. <laughs> no, because God doesn't God doesn't uh, pass <laughs> any laws uh, to protect uh, you against uh, in- intrusions no no what god what god has done and that's huge is to create a world and and humans in in his own image if you prefer a different way to explain that that's fine but ultimately uh, what what has uh, gone away is a faith Frankly, a faith in democracy, a faith in the in republican democracy, and the definition of democracy is another story that is part of the the betrayal of liberalism. But now you can see why I wrote so many pages. Yeah, well, well uh, yeah, yeah, you had you, you you got a lot of material to, to cover there. You speak of the quote new style liberalism. That Woodrow Wilson introduced, and you know one of the one of the off you, you mentioned, you know to to redefine things. One of the difficulties I found that conservatives or traditionalists of any kind have had is keeping up with the redefinition of terms that progressives are constantly engaging in. It's almost like you you use a word, you use a word day after, and suddenly that word means something else, and 
the changing in the meaning of words, the meaning of ideas yes. is it, it, it can be very disorienting and it has rhetorical right. power. When I right. say liberal, when we say liberalism, we have something in mind. When they say liberalism, they have something else in mind. And uh, you, you, you speak of the way in which this new style liberalism and new idea of liberalism, it came into the federal government, it goes into then state governments, it goes into smaller institutions, and that's where we are. And, and, and the redefinition is, is kind of settled. Let me refer to uh, one phrase that you have, this process, is, quote, idiocracy, not I-D-I-O, <laughs> uh, but I-D-E-O, ideology, idiocracy takes over the administrative state. What happened there? What do you mean by that? The, the uh, semantic hijacking that took place starting at the end of the 19th century is undoubtedly the most brilliant but also the most uh, mischievous uh, change that no revolution <laughs> can quite match no revolution in the ordinary sense of actual violence. It's insidious. But the confusion that you're referring to that ensues from redefining terms uh, is, allows manipulation of language to confuse the voters in a way that benefits the people who make best use of that language. Hmm. So this is one of the huge concerns that I have today because now the erosion of our language has progressed considerably. And it's no small thing that the educational system is being so rapidly eroded by uh, a, an institutionalization of, of censorship to the extent that we see today. And so that, to me, is the th greatest threat to, to the political culture and, as a result, the culture at large. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. I hope one, that helps. One, <laughs> well, one, one big feature of this new liberalism is you, you referred to you know, individual rights, individual equality. We turn into a forms of collectivism, right? And centralization, 
taking place. And you, you described this yeah, as you know, the, the growth, that's right. the growth that's of right. the administrative state yeah. is yeah. is really a form of, of centralization. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I remember I was I was doing I was doing a book on on a an, a riot that took place in Atlanta mm-hmm. in 1906, and a lot of it was about politics. And back in the, back, you know, 120 years ago, the governor's race mm-hmm. was much more important to people than the presidential race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The governor, people understood local state politics were more important than federal politics just in ordinary people's lives. I mean, I mean they, they couldn't imagine the federal government, the size, the reach of the federal government that we have today. It would have been inconceivable of Americans of all kinds to, to see this, this kind of thing happening. Now, but, but I'm, I'm going to come back to uh, the Jewish issue here, because you say that as this redefinition, the 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 a different ideology gets centralized and and authorized and becomes administrative, how or why did the Jews become, as you put it, an odd kind of quote litmus test? Somehow, the Jewish people become a, a, a an important factor in what you believe. Yes. But they have always been. There's a reason why the Jews have been called the scapegoats. A friend of mine uh, wrote a book <laughs> that's called <laughs> "The Jews Are the, uh, the the famous the the uh, the best scapegoats, the uber scapegoats." You know, but it's because they have had their own ways, their own. They, they have been a minority in, uh, in societies where the main creed was different, whether Muslim or Christian uh, or otherwise. And so because someone is different and insists on being different, that will raise questions around that community and the pressure to conform is clearly uh, being challenged. In, so today, the same goes for ideas. Now, Jews have notoriously had a whole variety of points of view. So what makes someone like George Soros, who is not noticeably Jewish, uh, put in the same pot as as someone uh, on the other side of the political spectrum. What exactly? So they have been a litmus test in that sense, that if Jews are not allowed to be themselves, no one is. So... Now, in many respects, too, the Jews have been an example. For instance, to the black community, they have and continue to be an example to to many of the oppressed blacks. After all, when you consider, let's just think of the the great uh, James Baldwin and so forth, Of course, their relationship to the Jewish community had been conflicted. That's inevitable. But 
um, and after all, Frederick Douglass, more than anyone, and I quote him, uh, he considered Abraham Lincoln to be a a beacon alongside. He was a, 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 a Moses, in a way, alongside Moses himself, and the Jewish community was greatly admired by him and many others. So that's the sense in which they are a litmus test. If the Jews can't survive, nobody can. Hmm. Let me, let me jump forward uh, a bit. You say that with the creation of the state of Israel, America now faced a whole new, quote, Jewish problem. Uh, what, was, <laughs> what was the, you know, this was in 1950. Yeah. Uh, what was that new Jewish problem that, the, that Israel posed? Well, to, for the Jews specifically, the problem was that there was a question of, well, are you a Jew? Are you an American? And today, again, uh, ever since, that has been an issue. And one of the things that is so remarkable that I embrace is that you can certainly be a Jew and an American at the same time, the way you can be a Catholic and an American at the same time, for heaven's sakes. You'll say, yeah, but, you know, the Vatican is not Israel. Well, fair enough. But uh, on the other hand... Um, the being a Jew and there being a state where Jews can go any time are by no means the same thing. Just uh, this is one of the problems with not understanding, separating the different aspects of the personality. Not everything is citizenship. Now, there's this different sense, however, quite different, in which Israel is a problem for, for America, and that is its position uh, in the Middle East geopolitically. As it happens, 1950 and 2023 are two entirely different geopolitical situations. At that time, the, the Arab nations were... Uh, extremely important from an economic point of view in a way that today is less the case. Second, Israel today has far more in common with the Arab nations as against Iran, for example. And so therefore, today, if anything, um, uh, Israel is, should be and and it has been recognized by many to be not a problem, but, a, but an asset for heaven's sakes. I think we're still trying to, to get used to this idea. It's remarkable how uh, somehow the, the, the leftover memes, as they're called, of half a century ago are still with us and and this administration doesn't seem to quite uh, recognize the importance of, well, let me talk about the Abraham Accords, just to start there. But yeah. enough said. Now well, that if well, we go in geopolitics. <laughs> well, let me, let me go back. Uh, I heard someone the other day told me that when the state of Israel was created, it wasn't quite entirely clear that to, to American political leadership that Israel would be strongly aligned with the United States. 
that there were fears that that Israel might have some some Soviet sympathies. Oh, no question. And those fears were not by any means uh, un, uh, unrealistic. They were very realistic. I mean, the the Zionists were avowed socialists, and the Soviet Union certainly uh, banked on Israel's um, commitment to to the to the left as such. What I think the Soviet Union <laughs> clearly didn't realize is that the 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 Jewish socialists were actually sincere in the sense that they believed in a actually they believe in a different kind of socialism. Really, at this kibbutz, for example, is a, uh, involves a um, a like the co-ops voluntary pooling of resources. The Soviet Union is quite different. So we didn't take long before the Soviet Union realized that, no, 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 the Jews are not going to just play lapdog to anybody, even if they're that weak. Mm. Mm. And so, sure, the United States was concerned, rightly so. But Israel proved that, uh, that Truman was right. Yeah. When the new left came along in the 1960s, where did where did the Jewish people fit in? How were they? How did Black Power regard Jews in America? Oh my goodness, Mark, that's such an interesting question. Well, for one thing, I lived through it. My goodness, I saw Stokely Mike uh, Carmichael. I saw Herbert Marcuse. As they say, I was there at the revolution. Hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah. look, oh, oh no! I, I have to stop you there. Where did you, where did you see Marcuse? Oh, at the University of Chicago. Huh. I I have all my degrees from the University of Chicago in philosophy. And he came. And, and spoke. so, Chicago Seven. I, oh yeah. Oh my! I, the Blackstone Rangers were down the street. Huh. It was really fascinating. You you, you quote extensively uh, Marcuse's famous essay, "Repressive Tolerance." I actually had a oh, chance to oh. reread that uh, for for a, a seminar I was I was in. Mm-hmm. It's a, I think it's a remarkable document. Mm-hmm. It's all yeah. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But it yeah. is a powerful yeah. and systematic. It is deeply learned. Pre- yeah. you, you can see why. I mean, it's known for its infamous conclusion of shut down the conservatives. But behind it, there is a depth of understanding of there's Hegel in it. There is Marx and and there is the the the, the anti-colonialism in the mid 20th century. It, it's a. It's a powerful document that I think everyone should should read. But it's it's great. To, I mean, he was uh, when he spoke at Chicago. When you saw him, he was impressive in person. It was he was impressive in person to to the audience, uh, not to me, to be <laughs> honest. Yeah. No, because as I say in my book, uh, I saw kind of a shyster. I mean, you know, he was he was a real showman. Yeah. yeah. And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I don't do very well with, with that sort of thing. I grew up under communism. I mean, I could sort of smell what's underneath. <laughs> well, let, me, but, let me get back, Julian. Oh, Black but, Power and the Jews. 
Yes, yes. No, that's important because uh, the Jews were passionate about civil rights. My friends, I know, uh, I saw they were sincere. And I have uh, a friend whose sister was uh, was killed um, in the South, and I had enormous respect. And there's no doubt. I mean, Saul Alinsky worked with with uh, underprivileged people in with black people in in Chicago. There was a genuine desire on the part of the Jews to identify with the plight of the black community, and many of them understood. However, there were two things that 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 Jews underestimated, and I think the same goes today for so many, not just Jews, but li- uh, so-called liberals in general, uh, is that they, they underestimate how much people resent paternalism and condescension. You may not want to seem condescending, but you know, the, uh, you go into a community and you say, I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. I've so having been involved also in what is called democracy building all over the world, where the United States tries to, you know, help bring democracy. It's the same thing. You have to be very careful, partly because people really need more, uh, more advice to how they can help themselves. Now, Alinsky actually understood that to his credit. However, as Alinsky also saw was, not everybody was this, uh, had this attitude. And similarly, in the black community, not all black leaders were particularly interested in the, the plight of the blacks. I mean, look today at BLM, oh, Black brother. Lives Matter, I mean, look at the the leadership who who steals uh, who steals uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever, uh, for personal uh, personal gain. In fact, Alinsky too was disgusted by some of the black leadership. The Black Power Movement, as David Horowitz and Peter Collier have amply demonstrated, was uh, the Black Power Movement was deeply. Uh, violent. And they were rather more interested in their own power than in the good of their community. The book is An Idea Betrayed, Jews, Liberalism, and the American Left. Dr. Pillon, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.